0: Uh, I'm very happy that I'm going to be able to introduce you to two key leaders uh, who's going to also field some of your questions you may have and some of the interaction we will have uh, on uh, doing community development and health work. Two medical physicians, Dr. Polly Polly, who's a Congolese and working in Rwanda, and Dr. Bill Gustin, who's from Saddleback with us, and he's the director of our health initiative. Uh, Two leaders, 21st century leaders, I view them as. So, um, let's just pick up, uh, let me just say, if most of you attended the session this morning. Okay, so I'm just going to assume I'm going to go fast over some of those things, and what I'm going to try to do is lay the foundation so we can get into some real question and answer time to an interaction with you, okay? Um, When we talk about peace, just to remind you, Uh, We say there are five different, big, huge, gigantic problems. And you can use other terminologies for it. But the key thing is you have to understand these problems are synergistic. When you think of HIV and AIDS, you know there is a poverty component to it. There's a social component to it. There's all kinds of things involved in it. There's evangelistic component to it. Uh, And so we say, when you think of the five big problems of the world, spiritual emptiness, self-serving leadership, poverty, disease, and illiteracy, they're kind of connected, but the church can address all of them. And the people of God, mobilized, can. And the key thing is, by planting churches that promote reconciliation, you address spiritual emptiness, and that's the P of P, you can see pieces there. Equipping servant leaders is how you deal with self serving leadership. Assisting the poor appropriately is how you deal with property and caring for the sick. We're going to spend our time on this one. And then educating the next generation is how you deal with illiteracy and ignorance. Another way to think of it, there's different levels, and this is why people often confuse development and relief. Critical to know you work on primary, secondary, and tertiary levels. And at, at the primary level, we say, that's where you really need no resources. And this is where 80%, 75 to 80% of all problems can be addressed there in healthcare. Did you guys know that? If we mobilize local people, we deal with the majority of unnecessary deaths among children. So that's why that's important. At the same time, for instance, when we think of caring for the sick at the secondary level, uh, you'll have clinical clinics and some professional people. Then, of course, the territory will be hospitals. Likewise, when you think of educating, just to give example of peace, at this level, you don't need a building for that. There are churches for that. You don't need special qualifications. Anybody can do that. That can happen, but then when it comes to this, yes, there's some resources necessary. And of course, when it comes to universities and equipping professionals, that's a different issue. But in the peace plan, and we don't have time today to go into all of it, we say we address by the grace of God the whole nine yards, going all the way through. Um, I said this morning, uh, peace, uh, it's not just simply that evangelism and social involvement are to be done alongside each other. Uh, we're very clear to say it is through peace. Our proclamation has social consequences. You guys get that? When I preach the word, it touches the world around me. Nothing is more unbiblical than sermons that doesn't relate to the world around us and the problems we face. Jesus came to address that. And can I say it up front? When you do medicine, you don't do medicine to get the opportunity to gospelize. Doing medicine is gospelizing. Because Jesus did it. It doesn't mean we don't use the spoken word. God gave me the gift of evangelism, so I am a stickler for giving out the good news. But by just obeying your call, your vocation, you're doing what God wants you to do. And that's important. Unconditional of where the people are. Um, just a, a quick f- few things... We do not work with the church, we work through the church. And that's why we say it's church owned and not church based, and it's not with one church only, but with all the churches through what we call the inter-church council. So in every region where we work, we say, let's identify the churches. And then we don't say, we've got a program, can we do our program with you or in your church? No, we say, how can we help you to deal with the issues that you believe God wants you to deal with? And through that mutual learning process, the work will go forward. Furthermore, when we say it is church-owned and not church-based, if I've got the money, I've got the program, I can base my program in a church, there's not a church in the emerging world that will say no to you. The challenge in to say, how do we get churches to own it? Big case in point for me will be with orphan ministry. If you say, let's take care of orphans in your community, they're going to say yes. And you may have a big fund, you support orphans for a while, and then after a while, the money run out, you say, God is leading me to leave now. And the situation is worse than it was before. Versus, if you take the time to envision the pastors and the church leadership, and they say, wow, I develop a heart for orphans. And all of a sudden... It becomes their ministry. And they say, you know, whether you're going to be here or not, we're going to do it because God wants us to do it. Now you have a church-owned program. And guess what? If you're not there, it still go on. And that's what we're all about. And then, Jesus prayed that we can be one. Now, a little bit of my background. If somebody told me ten years ago, our work focused on the church, I would have said, cut my right arm off right now and spare me the misery. But you know what? The church is God's idea. And therefore, investing in the church is following God's idea, God's plan. And the power of the Holy Spirit can work through us. That's how God wants to do it. And getting churches to work together, in Rwanda specifically, it took us almost four years of just talking to get 80 plus denominations and groups to work together, so that but now represents 95% of all churches in Rwanda. And they are the steering committee. And they make the decisions, and they lead, and they're at the point where they said, Gil, we don't want that stuff. We want this. Or they willing to tell a team, don't come and teach us this, this is what we want. And then they themselves are taking ownership. And when they began to write peace into their budgets... Some of the larger churches, we said, now God is working. They own it, so it's churches. It's a it's a tough time, and we've got special uh, seminars that we work with. I do where we help people understand how you do the first initiation of this and how you get churches to work together. Um, just for the record, for community transformation to take place, people must understand their needs. They must understand how these needs can be met and they must be given the freedom to make their own decision, to put it into action. And I submit to you, if number three is skipped, you will not have transformation. You may have some stuff for a while, but real transformation comes when the people decide we're going to do it. And when Drs. Polipoli and Bill are going to talk with you a little bit later, you're going to see that is exactly what's happening there, and why it is successful. Um, For us, the core value is the church. And it says for us, it helps. Community peace means it takes people from the core of the church and throw it into the community to do the five things Jesus wants them to do. And then they lead the crowd into into the congregation again. Now, if you don't know what this means, let me explain to you. This is what we call the purpose-driven paradigm. And again, guys, use whatever terminology you want. But any local church must have a very specific, intentional process for evangelism, discipleship, ministry, and missions. And whatever you call it, do it. But make sure you have it, because you deal with people that are at various stages. As you can see here, the community are the people you live in. And then the crowd, that's the people that come to church usually on Easter and Christmas and maybe for a wedding. Right? Then you've got your congregation. Those are the people that say, Okay, we are Christians. This is our church. We go there. And they will be there uh, maybe once a month. Maybe once every five weeks. The committed are those that they are faithfully, regularly. The core are your leadership. And then right inside you have the commission. You guys are the commissioned. And what we say through our training is... You empower the commission and the core people to go into the community. And those people are brought into the crowd and into the congregation. Make sense? I know I'm going very fast. I'm giving to you here in a few minutes what we usually spend hours on. But community peace, we call it community peace, is about ordinary members of of a church to live out the great commission and the great commandment. Community peace always takes place in community. It's never never, never a foreigner going to a place and doing his little thing there or her little thing. No, it's in the community. And that is a very important concept to, to remember. And we call it community peace and not development. And the reason is because the synergistic nature of community peace. This stuff is interrelated. The physical and spiritual are so together and we came to a point where we realized even when we talk about development, you know, people say, okay, so did the World Bank give you a five million dollar loan? Because that's part of the developmental plan of our country. And we say, time out. There's no money involved. This is about you. Created in the image of God, empowered by God to do the things God has called you to do. And then... When we do a training, I think um, I'll ask you for the rest. Lepsus and my good friend John Payne is also the CEO of Medical Ambassadors. Um, great guys also who know about this and who work with us. When I say learner-centered, it means you've got to concentrate what the people want to deal with. And as Bill and Polly Polly talk with you, you're going to see that's what's happening there. That's why it's successful. Problem posing, it's never just... Let's come up with a good idea. No, what do you have there to address with the people? Who can help you with discovery? What kind of discovery? Self-discovery, right? If I don't discover it for myself, I don't value it. Now, that takes long, and that takes questions. But uh, I cannot emphasize enough. That's why we spent weeks in training. But the end result is where people own it, because they've discovered it. And then it's action-orientated, you don't sit in your behind and say, this is it. And finally, of course, we call it spirit-directed. Right. You're so far with me. I know I've been going very fast, but I had to lay this foundation. So for us, we say, when we do community peace, the foundation is a healthy church. And you can describe a healthy church with any terminology you want to. But think of it as a church with a Intentional evangelism, discipleship, ministry, and missions programs. Where people are discipled and grow and are getting involved actively in their communities. Out of that comes community peace, what we call community peace. People are trained. The very foundational. My good friend, I see Terry Dalrymple is here too from uh, community development. Um, what we do with, with everything. What they used to call, community health evangelism. It's the same things. We just tweaked it a little bit, justified, modified, and call it community peace. And that becomes think of an operating system in your computer. This computer of mine has an operating system. And unless the operating system is in place, I cannot put Word, Outlook, or anything on it, right? So often, what happened in the field is we got this brilliant PowerPoint program. Let me go and put it on the computer, but I have no operating system on it. And within a few weeks, when nothing works, it people just give up. What we're submitting to you is, the secret is, can we take time to get the operating system in? That mindset change that has to happen before I start doing anything. And after that, that's when I can start plugging in. We call them piece works, or projects. You start plugging them in. Whether it is with orphans and vulnerable children, or the one we're going to talk about is healthcare, and specifically the clinical church is one of the four healthcare initiatives in Rwanda we're working on. Briefly, you've seen this, so I'm just going to go through this. We started off by listening to the people in all their various churches. Uh, it was about more than 90 hours of information we, we collected. We worked with the three hospitals, the 29 one clinics and then, of course, more than 450 churches. And as we started working with them, from those churches we started saying, okay, let's take one, by the way, we took only one sector in that whole area. And there was one sector right there, Bishara sector, that's all where we worked. There were 13 churches. This was in September of 2007. We said, that's where we start with. Had the vision seminar for the pastors, asked the pastors to, if they believe in this, and they said, if you believe, we're not going to pay you, but you as a church can be empowered to bring physical and spiritual health to your whole community, send two leaders from your church to be trained. A, f- a local mosque said they want to be part. We said, we're evangelicals, you're welcome. And they joined us. And, and the wonderful news is, uh, uh, real life transformation take place there. We of course stuck strictly to our script, but the bottom line is we started training them. 28 people, very interactive. Uh, those of you who are familiar with Che. It is a basic Che things modified to fit in our church model. Uh, This exercise that some of you may know and some may not know is, we call it a road to health. Just an example of some of this stuff. And during this exercise, they come up either with something that represents a problem and say, okay, we need clean water, and they'll take a water bottle and put it down on this piece of tape that represents the road to health, or it could be just a line in the ground. And say, you're standing at this point, you want to get there, that's where you one day want to be if everything is perfect. What is keeping you from moving from point A to point B? What are the challenges you see there? Now, we have a similar exercise we go through, and we work with assets. But with this one is with the challenges. And whether they write in a piece of paper or have something to represent it, they show us what it is. And as you can see, as the program goes on, the next step is, they have rocks with them, and we say, come and vote. Each one has three rocks. And then they have to vote and say, which of these problems are the biggest? And as you can see, as they start voting, categories begin to emerge. And by the end of the exercise, there are very clear categories. Now, what you see in a few seconds here, took a couple of hours to go through, okay? And then the next step in this whole process is then for them to say, okay, now, let's help you learn what root problems are versus just dealing with superficial fruits and symptoms, which is usually a huge eye-opener. Because even with our short-termers, people want to deal with fruit and not roots. So in this exercise, they get into, into it, the problem tree, and you can see this one, Sida, was AIDS was one of the three top ones that came out in that group, and they started working on it. And as they work through it and start deciding what is the issues we want to deal with, they begin to tell each other. They come to the self-discovery. It is monumental how they begin to take ownership. And all of a sudden they say, we have it. Now remember, we're working only with 28 people. That's it. That's how we started. After six months, only 23 graduated. Five of them were voted off the island by the rest of their peers. Because part of the training is practical. You've got to have a healthy home. And they said, well, your homes didn't meet the 12 criteria we came up with. Or you didn't uh, attend enough trainings. You're not a good enough teacher. And they themselves, we never had to do a thing. They're now into it. They're doing it. And as you saw this morning, uh, with the diplomas, they got it. Little certificates. The incentives we give them is a shirt, saying, I'm a community peace trainer. Uh, with their workbook for lessons, as well as their bag, they're off. But here's the good thing, as I said this morning, the first thing they did, these 23, with their pastors, sat down. And they selected now 250 others to be trained. Regular members in those churches, those 13 churches. And so the first three months were spent on that, and that was the graduation of the first group. Now, this process has been going on, and I wish I had more time to talk about this. But the bottom line is today, as we sit here, there's about a little more than 3,000 of these guys going around. And the exponential trajectory we're on, and this is thanks to the great work of Moses and Ahira, who you saw in one of the photos, and people like Dr. Pauline there, and of course Dr. Bill is also working there there's going to be a little more than 8,000 of these folks by October of 2012. Instead of one little sector, we're now in five provinces. And guess what? The Musungu, the white face, is almost absent in the trainings. They're doing it. They got the ownership. They're moving on it. That was the first training team. And from that, it all happened. Now, what I'm going to do now, we're going to talk about the clinical church and I'm going to ask Dr. Polly 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 and Bill to come up and we're going to I'll interview them a little bit and let them talk and then you guys can ask questions too our theme we said how do we recruit leaders leadership lay leadership for the 21st century I submit to you the church of Jesus Christ will become everything God wants it to be with the right leadership And for me, there's two things. People want to be challenged. Somebody said this morning, we want to have our socks off. Yes, we want to be challenged our socks off. With things so big that unless God is in it, it will not happen. That's why I like to be involved with things that involve billions of people and not millions. And I hope you too, because that's why you're here. And our God is so big, he can do it. And the size of our God determine the extent of our ministry. And to find leaders who can do it. Now, you sit with unique people here, and I'm going to ask, um, I'm going to start with Bill, with Dr. Bill. Okay. And say, Bill, how did you get involved? How on earth? And by the way, he's already a good 36 hours back from Rwanda as he stands here. Right. And he's behold, he's in sound mind.
1: <laughs> well, debatable, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how so, did you get involved? Well, I got involved. I was... Uh, I recommitted my life in two, early 2008, and I believe that my... Next week, my uh, small group leader said, have you ever been to Rwanda? Uh, at that time, I, uh, I was broken by the, some of the slides you just showed uh, regarding the simple model of how many hospitals can you touch versus how many clinics you can touch versus how many churches exist in that single area. And... Uh, uh, to be honest, I was actually rather resistant to go to Rwanda the first time. Uh, I didn't quite see the purpose of it, and purpose-driven. Uh, but the uh, the reality is, when I saw that slide, uh, it made a lot of sense to me. All of a sudden, the idea that the church was going to be the center of this model—it wasn't me going to put a clinic in there or try to make something run with purely donated funds. This was the church locally. And all I'm doing is uh, another part of the body of Christ coming to help them do what I know they can do. So, uh, I, I was broken by that. So, that's, uh, that's what got me involved. And then my job opened up to the point where I could actually go do it. Okay. And
0: uh, so, the nice challenge was, is Bill, please, A, take your own vacation time. B, pay your own ticket and all your costs there. And C, come and serve Jesus. Correct. And he responded. Uh, how did we... Fine, Bill, you heard it, small group. A person who's already active and saying, how can I serve God more? That's how it is. Polly Polly, Dr. Polly, um, you've been involved now for about five years. We walked a long way there. Um, we had an agreement. We worked a little bit with the University of Maryland, and Dr. Polly got involved there. But... Um, Tell us, what is your passion? How come you are involved in doing today what you're doing? Why are you
2: doing it? Thank you. <clears throat> um, before I answer the question, I'm a medical doctor. With the um, First of all, my English is not a, a good one. I speak six languages and English is the, the one I don't speak well. So please uh, forgive me if I, I make mistakes. He's a great guy to translate for you, though. (laughs) So, um, when I was practicing uh, medicine in a uh, a district hospital in Rwanda, poorly equipped, like uh, all clinics and hospitals in uh, South Sub-Saharan African countries, with my degree of a general practitioner, I realized that I was really facing many, many challenges. So I saw people dying from diseases which can be prevented, and almost 80% of diseases which kill, kill people there can be prevented by just uh, uh, using uh, uh, basic or uh, elementary uh, uh, hygiene. So i was really hurt to see that people could die from preventable causes and seeing them dying poorly like that and then when i heard about uh, the peace plan that is five years ago when i realized that there are people who are there in the church who come in the morning without being called by whoever and to whom? The pastor can just ask, please, put your knee down, and they do that. And after that, they give money, and they go back home. So, ready to serve to prevent these diseases killing. I said, okay, how can I join? I get mobilized, and I think Pastor, uh, pastor Gil, he was the first person I, uh, I heard from about the peace plan. So, I I got interested and I felt that these people, Christians like me, just they need basic knowledge, basic skills to start doing something uh, to prevent these preventable causes uh, or causes of death. So, that is how I felt touched and I felt that I could do something in, in terms of equipping, giving this basic these people need to help in preventing the diseases. So,
0: thank you, Dr. Um, we said there's a operating system have to come in place. That's community peace. So think of it: the first community peace training take place. 23 trainers. They trained about uh, 230, I think, 230 community peace servants graduated. And they took the name Servant, by the way. We used Community Peace Volunteers. They came back to me and said, we don't want to be called volunteers. I said, okay, and I think they're going to ask for money. (laughs) No, they said, if I'm a volunteer, I can come and go if I don't, the way I feel. We're not volunteers, we're servants of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be here whatever happens. Uh, The sustainability of the program is is so great. Uh, I had a guy from uh, Malaria No More, United Nations group, who came to me in my office and said, we want to do what you're doing, your system is excellent. He visited there in Karanj, I didn't even know it. He said, we've never seen such a low attrition rate. He said, can we get your program, can you rewrite it a little bit and just take the Jesus talk out? You know, (laughs) I said, you don't get it. That's why they're doing it, because they know one day they're going to hear Jesus say, well done. It's like the one uh, volunteer or servant told me, he said, they don't pay me to sing in the choir. They don't pay people to be ushers. Why should they pay us to visit sick people and tell the good news? And they're going on. So, they are going there doing basic health care. And now we said, there has to be linkage also between the hospital and the ground. How do you do that? And, Bill, I'm going to ask you to introduce, and then you and Dr. Pauline talk about the clinical church. Okay. The Uh, whole
1: model. So, the the whole model in five minutes. No problem. Uh, So, as you saw, the the operating system is what he's discussing. And I think the healthy church, the CPTs, the CPSs are now in place so that we may introduce PeaceWorks. And I'll let uh, Dr. Pauline specifically describe how the clinical church works on on an actual grassroots level. I'll give you sort of the general concept. Uh, the concept begins with the development of peaceworks. I went uh, a year and a half ago now, no, about a year ago, and Dr. Plen and I went to all the hospitals. We went to some of the pastors. We said, "What are the needs? Can we actually develop a relationship on all three levels—primary, secondary, tertiary—that integrates healthcare with the church in Rwanda?" And we developed eight possible peaceworks. Uh, we didn't have champions for all of them. Hopefully, one day someone will come on who has a heart for one of them. But we do have four operating. Uh, the one we're going to talk about today is the clinical church. And the idea is, uh, through the, the grace of, of the church and the co- coordination and the relationship we've developed with the hospitals and clinics in that area, we've been able to uh, develop a feeding program, which I'll let you discuss, uh, and pastoral visits to the hospitals. And we've developed a relationship where the church – actually, sorry, we didn't. The church developed a relationship with the hospitals. So the medical director, the administrator, the other doctors – Know of the peace plan. They know that the churches are involved in the community. After this relationship is developed, we ask them can the church host a clinical church event, primarily focusing on HIV screening? Uh, and the hospitals, again in Rwanda in particular, uh, need an opportunity to screen that is part of their government's charge is to go seek out people with HIV and to screen. So there are incentives from the government and business perspectives and the healthcare perspectives to work with the church. The church is actually operating as the host. They actually get to evangelize with people and bring them closer to Christ. But at the same time, people who might feel uncomfortable going to the hospital or going to the clinic to get tested actually have a safe environment in the church to have their testing completed. Uh, I should mention that this coming year we're introducing uh, blood pressure, potentially diabetes, and some other screenings as well. And the idea of Clinical Church is that it's actually completely not new. It's just being able to integrate this completely with what is already in place in the community. And now our church leaders and our healthcare leaders are coming together to actually combat HIV and hopefully some of the other non communicable diseases in Rwanda. Uh, it's a, uh, again, I can't stop talking about it, so I'll stop talking about it, but if people want a lot of details about how we developed that piecework work uh, through focus training and things, I can do that afterwards. But I'll let Dr. Paulin describe how a clinical church day goes.
2: Thank you, Dr. Bill. Yeah. Clinical church is all about uh, allowing the church or empowering, equipping the church to do the church. I'll explain what it means uh, the church acrostic. Pastor Gil talked about uh, these uh, community peace trainers (CPTs) who are now thousands, uh, and we are expecting to, to get more thousands uh, uh, by the end of uh, by the next year. So they are ready to serve, and they become the manpower that the church can use. And what we do in Clinical Church, it is to train them they get a very basic training on uh, HIV AIDS for now, but very soon on other diseases, on prevention, care, and I mean community care and treatment on HIV AIDS. So once they finish the the training, of course, before doing that, the uh, the church leaders, pastors, are envisioned. They get also a training allowing them to, detect the problem, do they recognize that the disease is a giant which is not allowing the community or the church to move from an unhealthy place to a healthy place. Once they recognize that HIV AIDS or diseases is a, a, a giant, then they select champions among those community peace trainers, You so. So these people become, I mean, get this basic training, And when they finish the training, they start initiating church-initiated activities like support groups of people living with the the, 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 the HIV. They start initiating patient visiting and paying program which links the church to the local clinic or, or, or the local hospital. They start bringing Lessons on, uh, 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 on prevention in the community Because each one is in charge of uh, seven homes that, To which they bring a spiritual and a, a physical lesson On a monthly basis They start to bring lessons calling for uh, 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 screening at the ch- uh, In the community Once this uh, linkage uh, uh, is now established between the church uh, 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 and the local clinic, through these church-initiated activities like the patient visiting uh, program, then the clinic starts sending people at the, at the church, and the church mobilizes uh, uh, the community to get screened. And I'm happy to tell you that thousands of people are getting screened because only they have been called by the church. And through that established linkage, they know their status, how they are, uh, their HIV serology, and among those uh, thousand screened, those positive are now into care uh, and treatment. Recently, that was uh, like two weeks ago, we tried to screen not only HIV, in one day, the church was able to to, to to screen 180 people for HIV, but also for uh, hypertension. And among those one, uh, 180 people, 16 were found living with hypertension without knowing. And now they are into care treatment. So, I think in a few words, yeah, that is what you. I should say about the clinical church. So the church is doing, the church caring for the sick, that is the feeding program, uh, visiting program. The age, is handling screening of diseases. Many people already screened. The, uh, the the church is unleashing the army, an army of volunteers. It's an, all the congregation—not only this, uh, this time, not only the C.P.T.S. or these volunteers, but the whole con- congregation—is mobilized to take care of their neighbours. And the, uh, the R, that is remove stigma. The church by initiating support groups of, of, of people living with the virus. The church by calling for screening all the community, feel like, that getting screened, living with the virus. It's not a reason for being abandoned or for abandoning someone else. So the church is removing stigma. And the last C, the church is championing healthy behavior by D education of those living with the virus the education uh, of those not yet living with the virus uh, on how to prevent themselves from effect, being infected and the last age the church is helping with medication by visiting and by supporting those on treatment thank you okay.
0: thank you bill
1: Thank you. I just want to make one comment about the sustainability of this project. All of our piece works, uh, we kind of do the sniff test about can this run, whether or not we're there. Uh, The hospital and the clinics provide all of the supplies. They provide the counseling, the nursing, the technician to run the testing. Uh, The only thing from the mission's perspective that now I'm empowered to do is to actually test scalability of this model. Can we actually introduce this to many churches at the same time and provide a missions opportunity for healthcare workers to come out and help the screening process? But uh, this actual model doesn't cost us anything. This is completely church and healthcare owned within Rwanda. Uh, so we hope that they will continue to own it more and more, and we just come alongside to support them and to amplify a few times a year to have large screening events within the nation. Uh, Right now, we're only in a single district, but we hope to move to all four districts over the next couple of years. Well, sorry, all five districts in the next couple of years so that all the churches are empowered to do this. And we just help them do it.
0: Um, Significant to remember, too, in this case, as our community peace training went on, the government came to us and said, you know, we see visible changes in the communities where you've done it in the first few sectors. Can we send our own community health workers to be part of your systems. So we told the pastors, and pastors said, pastors, why do you think they said yes, that's fine. And so many of those were already members of churches, but the bottom line is, it built credibility, and the government said, what you do, do it right. In one conversation I had with the Minister of Health, I said, you understand that we are very evangelistic. He looked at me and said, What you do, keep on doing it, because it's changing the communities. Mm -hmm. So it's a free hand there. Great, and it's it's to tribute our Dr. Polipoli and his colleagues for really having a good standard there. The other thing was, even two years ago still, the government said no screening can take place outside of a clinic. No treatment can take place outside of a clinic. Last year, they gave us permission. It's now a year ago, a year and a half ago. Say, okay, test it. And it's been going so well that we're confident it's going to just spread everywhere. The key in this, who are the key people in this, making this happen? The church, and who in the church? The local, ordinary people who have been trained in basic community health. They're making the difference. And um, it's, it's, it's mushrooming at this point. I'm going to open it up for questions. Uh, We can maybe have a few questions here. Any questions for Bill or for Polly Polly? Yes,
2: sir. Over there. I I think, real quick, from a sustainability standpoint, do most of the CPTs uh, have full time jobs and do this on the side as, as, uh,
1: you know, I guess, using their word, servants of of Jesus? How does that work?
0: Let let me answer that one. Yes, they do it purely as volunteers. It's on the side. Um, we limited to seven homes because of the geographic area, and I think this will change from different places. Uh, Just so you can know, we're at this moment busy extrapolating the principles and beginning to translate the same program in the Philippines, in Argentina, and also in China, because we want other models going. So it's volunteers, and it's where they are, and it's to say... What you can do in your own time.
1: Have you applied this model in uh,
0: the United States? Uh, we haven't done it, but uh, my good friend Stan Rowland is doing similar things based on this. And look him up in the book. He'll be able to give you some information there. But yes, it's we're busy with the urban project in Kigali, where we are mobilizing larger resource-rich churches. We told them, Saddleback doesn't have to send teams out to the boonies. You can send teams. And we'll be with the training on that.
1: There's just such genius behind this. Have your, have your CP servants,
2: have they gotten so far along in
0: the program that they're
1: also doing some hospice or palliative care within the homes? Have you gotten that far? I'll, I'll just answer <laughs> no, but I'd love to. Yeah. It, there's, a, there's some cultural aspects that we haven't bridged yet. Uh, there's no curriculum for palliation or um, th- that end of life is something we haven't bridged yet. But uh, we've briefly talked about it in the hospital once or twice. It's something that I hope can be a, a curricular piece and maybe have some CPTs that specialize in that type of care. And, and see,
0: uh, what they bring out here is the difference between plugging a program in that we say do the program versus... It's coming from the grassroots up. It's part of our culture now, and we're going to do it. And it's going to keep on doing it. I was thinking we didn't talk about the feeding program. Yeah, cool. mm-hmm. yeah. Just talk about the
2: yeah. program. Uh, yes, uh, the feeding program beca- uh, comes actually under the, the church doing the sea, caring for those already sick. And um, I remember... That was in 2006. Uh, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think so. 2006. We uh, I, I I saw, and I was seeing patients dying because they didn't find food. They are on diabetes diabetes uh, diabetes mellitus treatment, and they get insulin without having eaten. And this is not easy to see happening. And one of the things that the church have started after understanding that they, they were able to do something with a small thing to save lives, it was after uh, uh, the training, they initiated the feeding, uh, patients' feeding and praying, uh, visiting, feeding and praying program. Actually, each patient... In each sector where the linkage between, uh, uh, I mean, we have already CPT trained in clinical church, there is a feeding program, and each church has its day to visit the local clinic or the local hospital. And uh, it's well organized that the, the, the social work of the hospital the, or, or uh, of the clinic identifies, identifies most needy patients, and they are linked to the local church, and those benefits... Uh, feeding uh, food uh, on a regular basis so and it, it's helping uh, it helps uh, me as a, a doctor to combine because medication without food sometimes it does not work well So and it's helping to save lives I
1: would, sorry. I would just comment on the feeding program It's uh, imagine if you can being a lay person in a church in the back hills of Rwanda and you've decided, you don't know what you can do to help the sick. But your pastor, the social worker, the CPTs say, there's a need at the local hospital. All we need you to do is to cook some food, and you'll save their life. Sorry. It's huge. And these people feel so empowered that they made a difference for somebody. It's probably, I love clinical church, but clinical church is only successful because people like that exist in Rwanda. And all you have to do is say, you can do it. And this is just another example of that. They can do it. All you have to do is provide them the materials. So the feeding program is remarkably powerful. And people don't die in the hospital anymore because someone cooks some food. And use their own resources for that. We don't give them the food.
0: We had one question here. Um, the effective engagement of short term teams is something that's very important to us. Um, that's a whole session by itself. Just for a record, um, we've sent more than thirteen thousand people on short term teams the past three years from saddleback. Of uh, those uh, close to a couple of two thousand went to Rwanda. Not a single team were bigger than eight. Okay, maximum size. Number two they were required to go through a six-month training period before they could go. Uh, Number three, the leadership even had to go through a longer training period. It's a privilege not a right, to go on a team. They go to put their piece of the puzzle down. And I think it's the training there. And then the fourth element is, a lot of my time has been spent the past few years also preparing the churches, receiving churches in Rwanda for the Musungus. To prepare them to say... This is what's going to come, and you've got the right to say no to something. You're empowered. So, we're developing two curricula, one which is for the people going and one for those coming. I've got examples here. For instance, this is the Peace Skills Training. This one happens on January 14, 2012, and you'll see there's uh, 29 different skills, four-hour sessions taking place. Everybody's required to go through what we call Community Peace. If you don't go through that, you can go on a trip. That's just it. Secondly, you've got to commit to go by the five key principles the five key principles of community peace or of chain. We use Lapsus exclusively, and then it is in response to what the churches want us to do. We never say what we're going to do. They're at the point where they invite us and tell us what it is through the steering committee. And the teams go where they are appointed by the steering committee as they decide the right places. It's a growing area, but it's an exciting area. And I believe it's not short term as we have to talk about. We have to call them in-betweeners. Because this is a missions model God has brought for the 21st century. And I'm here because of that. So um, our time is up. Thank you so much for being here. Let's thank God for these two brethren.